0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Um, if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to open it to Exodus chapter 35. We're going to be spending a lot of our time in the book of Exodus today. These are also going to be on the screen for you to, for you to follow along with. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, um, we talk about that every Sunday. And we just want to encourage you... Uh, to continue to continue to use um, that app throughout the week, we have Bible reading plans that that begin every Sunday morning for everyone that that's a friend of Westway Christian Church. We send out an invitation on Saturday evenings or Sunday mornings, and then there's a group of people, um, probably twenty twenty five or so out of that pool of people that we invite. That 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 we can that we can see like they leave comments and they interact, and it's it's been a really cool way. Uh, to grow together with people as as a church body. And I just want to encourage you to do that. We're doing this uh, series we began last week. We simply called Foundations. Every January, we spend our time sort of reorienting ourselves and remembering who we are as as a church, because we are people who forget that. We want to remember... That our mission as a church is to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And it's easy to forget that. You wouldn't think that we would forget that, but it's easy to forget that. We can be about lots of different things. And if we just read through the, uh, through the Bible, through the Old Testament in particular, we see this, this, th- this constant reorientation of the people of God around who they are, reminding them of who they are because. Like us, they had a tendency to perpetually forget. And last week, we talked about the, the foundation of the devoted gathering. And what that means is when we think about a devoted gathering, we think of a group of people who gather together in a single time and in a single space together. So this would be an example of the kind of gathering that the, the early church Followed. They gathered together in in a certain space, and we know there are people who aren't able to do that. Uh, One of my favorite things about what's happened over the last several years as we've we've gone online and as we've begun to stream is we're able to connect with people, uh, our homebound people or shut-in people who for years had not been able to engage our church in the Sunday gathering, and now we know that many of them watch online. And I think that is just so awesome. And if you're one of those people, I'm so thankful that you're here with us today. Um, my wife actually today is homebound. She's been ill for most of the week, and she's at home right now watching. And I love that we have, this, that we have the technology available to, to share what we do as a church body with people who are at home. And yet, we're called to be devoted to the gathering for those of us who are able, we are called to be devoted to the gathering, and we get three things in the devoted gathering. We get, uh, we get accountability, we get unity, and we get maturity. Those things all come from the devoted gathering. I had a conversation with someone on on Facebook a couple days ago, and responding to a post of hers, and and I started responding. It was about prayer, and then I kind of went off on a little rant about the gathering, and immediately apologized for it. So you'll get a shorter version of the of that rant. Um, but I think one of the things that's popular in our culture, we hear people say things like, um, "Well, the golf course is my church," or "the woods are my church," or "the mountains are my church." And what I said in that Facebook post was I sort of get the mindset and the sentiment behind that, but the reality of it is when it's just me and the trees, there's no accountability, there's no unity, there's no maturity with other believers. I don't get those things when it's just me and the trees, and that sounds dangerously close to uh, doing whatever's right in my own eyes. And we just spent three months going through the book of Judges and we see the fruit of what happens when we do what's right in our own eyes. It's catastrophic. So last week we talked about the importance of the devoted gathering. And this week we're going to talk about what generous living looks like. It's funny how, how we, as, as we prepare our sermon series for the year, we, we think we know what we're going to talk about. So this Today's message was originally entitled Generous Giving, which meant we were going to talk about giving, right? And then like uh, two weeks ago, I think I was out on my morning run, and, I, and just the phrase generous living popped into my head. So I sent Cody a text. I said, dang it, we should have called, this, called today's message Generous Living. And he's like, well, we can do whatever we want to. So we've called this Generous Living um, because generosity is more than just about our giving. Generosity is reflected in the way that we live our lives. And as I was thinking about and praying about what we were going to talk about today, a gen, a gen, a Exodus 35 popped into my head. And here's, here's the context for Exodus. Maybe you know this. Maybe, maybe you have no idea what the Bible's about. Well, in the book of Exodus, the people have been enslaved. We, we turn the page from Genesis to Exodus. We go 400 years in history, and we see that the the people are enslaved in Egypt. And God calls them out. He sends Moses to call the people out of this slavery. And he's he, fulfilling the promise that he had made to Abraham uh, centuries before that they were going to have their own land. And they're on their way to the promised land. And they receive the Ten Commandments. And then in Exodus uh, chapter 35, verses 1 through twenty. We see this, and again, this will be on the screen. Then Moses called together the whole community of Israel and told them, these are the instructions the Lord has commanded you to follow. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on that day must be put to death. You must not even light a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath. Aren't you glad we don't live then? Then Moses said to the whole community of Israel, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord: gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat hair for cloth, tanned ram skins and fine goatskin leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the lamps, sp- spices for the anointing oil and the fragrant incense onyx stones, and other gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chestpiece. Come, all of you who are gifted craftsmen, construct everything that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle and its sacred tent, its coverings, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases, the ark and its carrying poles, the ark's cover, the place of atonement, the inner curtain to shield the ark, the table, its carrying poles, and all its utensils. The bread of the presence, for light, the lampstand, its accessories, the lamp cups, and the olive oil for lighting. The incense altar and its carrying poles, the anointing oil and fragrant incense, the curtain for the entrance to the ta- of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering, the bronze grating of the altar and its carrying poles and utensils, the wash basin with its stand. The curtains for the walls of the courtyard, the posts and their bases, the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the tent pegs of the tabernacle and courtyard and their ropes the beautifully stitched garments for the priest to wear while ministering in the holy place, the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons to wear as they minister as priests. So the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to their tents. So I've broken this message down into into three parts and this initial part of the text, we're just calling this the invitation. And here's what's going on. God's people have been presented with an opportunity to live generously in response to God's delivering them from Egypt. God's people have been presented with an opportunity to live generously in response to God delivering them from Egypt. God took them out of Egypt. He saw them in their suffering. He knew his promise that he was going to make this people into a great nation in their own land, And God delivered them from Egypt. And now, the people have been given this tremendous opportunity to respond. Hey, we're going to build this tabernacle, and these are the things that we need. The response is to present what they have to build the tabernacle. As I read through these verses multiple times over the past few weeks, I just... I, I couldn't help just see the, the level of generosity that was being asked of the people. Take the sacred offering for the Lord. Let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord. And here's what that means. It means the people had a choice. He didn't say let everyone. He said let those with generous hearts present the following gifts to the Lord. And I want you to notice that that they had a choice. It wasn't just their wealth. It was the gift of their things. There's a difference between those two. They were asked to contribute their wealth, but they were also asked to contribute their things. And then Moses said this, Come, all of you who are gifted craftsmen, construct everything that the Lord has commanded. And then that's followed by all of the things. So here's this invitation. We're going to build this tabernacle. This, is, this has been laid out for us over the previous pr- probably seven or eight chapters of the book of Exodus as to what the whole building is going to look like, what the tent's going to look like. And here's what we, in order to do this, Israel, we're going to ask you to contribute to that well how did the people respond that's that's the next little section here and that's that's Exodus 35 verses 20, 21 to 29 all whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord they brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle for the performance of its rituals and for the sacred garments both men and women came all whose hearts were willing They brought to the Lord their offerings of gold, brooches, earrings, rings from their fingers, and necklaces. They presented gold objects of every kind as a special offering for the Lord. All those who owned the following items willingly brought them, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat hair cloth, and tanned ramskins and fine goatskin leather. And all who had silver or bronze objects gave them as a sacred offering to the Lord. And those who had acacia wood brought it for use in the project. All the women who were skilled in sewing and spinning prepared blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen cloth. All the women who were willing used their skills to spin the goat hair into yarn. The leaders brought onyx stones and the special gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense. So the people of Israel, every man and woman who is eager to help in the work, the Lord had given them through Moses, brought their gifts and gave them freely to the Lord. I wonder how many times you heard the word "willing" in that? Remember, remember so they had this invitation, and, and I, I, I love verse 20. So the whole community left Israel or of Israel, left Moses and returned to their tents. So Moses presents this opportunity. And then basically what it looks like is now you guys just all go home and kind of think about this. This is this is what we need. We want to build this tabernacle. Go and think about it. And then the people responded and the first response is people who were willing and we see this throughout. Verse 21. All whose hearts were stirred and spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. Their hearts were stirred and their spirits were moved. So I go home, I'm thinking about it, I'm talking about it with my spouse. Maybe I'm talking about it with my kids. My my parents are extended family. We're all kind of having this conversation. We've been presented with this opportunity. It's weird. They know exactly what we have in our house. Like, think about the specificity in what Moses is asking for. So the families all get together and they talk about it. and, And some of them who have stirred hearts and spirits are moved. Verse 22 says this. Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing. Right, there's that word. Verse 23, all those who owned the following items willingly brought them. Verse 24, and all who had silver and bronze objects gave them as a sacred offering offering to the Lord. Verse 25, all the women who were skilled in sewing and spinning prepared blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine off. Verses 27, the leaders brought onyx stones and special gemstones. They also brought spices. Verse 29, so the people of Israel, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work of the Lord. Did you hear that? See, there's this invitation to participate in God's work and then there's a response. And this response, this initial response, is Willing. And what I love about this is it's not, just, it's not just an invitation to participate, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a moment. It's not just an invitation to participate in what's happening, but it's an invitation to contribute. And as I've pondered that over the last several days, I think there's a world of difference between participating and contributing. And this is being set before us. I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. We've talked about this verse a lot. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. See, that's not just, this isn't just about money. God is not after our begrudging contribution to his work. God is inviting us to participate but there was another response i think there were people who were neither willing nor eager to participate now the text doesn't explicitly say that but i think there's an implication listen again to verse 21 all whose hearts were were stirred and spirits were moved participated Offered this, seeing what that means is there were probably some who had unstirred hearts and unmoved spirits. There were probably some families who went home back to their tents and were like, you know, I, I don't know, I don't, I, I don't know, I'm not feeling that. Verse twenty-two talked about men and women coming, all whose hearts were willing. I think there were some then that had unwilling hearts. Verse 29, those eager to help brought what was requested and gave freely to the Lord. I think by implication, we can see that there were some people who weren't eager to help. So we have this invitation to join God in his work. You guys all go home, think about it, pray about it, talk about it with your families. Some people are going to be willing. Some people are not going to be willing And then verses 35, chapter 35, 30 to 35, say this. Like, what's the outcome? Then Moses told the people of Israel, the Lord has specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur of the tribe of Judah. The Lord has filled Bezalel with the spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He's a master craftsman expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He's skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He's a master at every craft. And the Lord has given him both given both him and Oliab, son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach their skills to others. The Lord's given them special skills as engravers and designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, scarlet thread, and fine linen cloth and weavers. They excel as craftsmen and as designers." Here's chapter 36. The Lord's gifted Bezalel and Ohilab and other skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. Let them construct and furnish the tabernacle just as the Lord has commanded. So Moses summoned Bezalel and Ohilab and all the others who were especially gifted by the Lord and were eager to work. Did you hear that eager again? Moses gave them the, ability, the materials donated by the people of Israel as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. Finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left their work. They went to Moses and reported, the people have given more than enough materials to complete the job the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. What I find really interesting about this, as I was, again, just continuing to read through this, um, Moses doesn't call the people... Who did not respond in generosity, he doesn't call them lazy or unkind. He doesn't call the Levites out to draw their swords and run through the crowd of people who didn't participate. See, when there are people who are willing to respond in generosity to God's invitation, God's work is completed. When people willingly respond, joyfully respond, who are eager to respond, when they respond in those ways to God's invitation, God's work is completed. The next four chapters detail this work of how the whole tabernacle comes together. And chapter 40, verses 34 to 38 says this. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, it remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day and at night fire glowed inside the clouds so the whole family of Israel could see it. They continued throughout all their journeys. Did you notice that the fruit of the generous people was everyone got to participate in God's glory? Isn't that, isn't that kind of strange to us? Isn't that sort of counter to the way we think things should go? Like we think in our, in our Western mindset, like if someone doesn't participate or doesn't contribute, then they don't get to enjoy, right? Like that's, our, like that's our Western thought process. Well, they didn't do anything to be a part of it, so why should they reap the rewards of it? And I just have to just be in awe of the way God works. I have to be amazed at God's economy. I have to be amazed at who God is. See, theologians call this, call this common grace. And Jesus referred to it this way. He gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. So let's think about that for a moment. Let's think about the, the people that live in our valley, the, especially the people who work in agriculture in our valley, who are farmers. Not all of them are Christians, and yet when it rains on the field of the Christian, it often, depending on where you are in relation to the monument, right, we all know that, it often falls on the field of the non-Christian, doesn't it? When the sun strikes the field of the believer, it also strikes the field of the unbeliever. That's called called common grace. So these people, when they're gathered together and around the tabernacle and they're they're participating and they're seeing what God is doing, they're participating in common grace. So what does this mean for us? Like are we all off the hook? Right? If, if God is going to demonstrate common grace to us anyway, why should I be generous? Am I the only one that thinks like that? Why should I serve? Why should I use my gifts, talents, and skills? Well, because common grace doesn't actually save anyone. Common grace doesn't save anyone. It only reveals the reality of God to everyone. So there are no excuses as to the reality of who God is. In Romans chapter 1, we're going to read Romans later this year. I'm excited for that. But Romans 1.20 says this. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God that's common grace. The example I use all the time, we walk out here and what do we do? We see the monument. Right? And our question that we eventually get to is like how'd that get there? The answer is God, and that's how he's revealing who he is. But that doesn't that doesn't save us. What the monument ought to do what the rain that falls on the just and the unjust ought to do is, is that, ought to, that ought to be an invitation for me to be curious about the reality of who God is. For me to ask and seek and knock. And each one of us are invited to respond to the goodness of God. And that, that's more than just accepting Jesus as our Lord. Lord. And I think that's something else that we, as Christians, can often get wrapped up in in the West. We think God is inviting me to be a part of something, so I'm going to accept him as my Savior. I'm going to be baptized back there, and then, like, I'm done responding. And that's not, it's just not reality. See, we're given the opportunity to respond to God's grace all the time through our own generosity. And there are three ways, and we talk about this a lot here. First is the generosity of finances. Every single thing that we do here at West White Christian Church requires the generosity of finances. From sending kids to camp, supporting our missionaries, to ensuring that the room temperature is at a reasonable temperature for everyone involved. Like, these things require our generosity of finances as a church. Did you hear all of the things that were listed in that text today that they needed to build the tabernacle? There are so many things that go into what we do as a church body. And they require finances. They require generosity. They also require the generosity of time Every single thing that happens here at Westway requires the generosity of someone's time. Someone has to get our financial reports together and pay our bills, as of for instance. Someone has to order children's ministry curriculum. Someone has to be here to make sure the lights are turned on, to make sure the HVAC filters are changed so everything works in the way that it's supposed to when you get here. Someone has to be here to... Make sure you all have coffee. Don't think we don't notice your your traffic pattern when you walk in the door. One of the things that Joe said, um, he was in the lobby on Christmas Eve, and we did the coffee area wasn't open on Christmas Eve. But he said, as I watched the front door, it was so amazing. People, like, so I'm looking at it. He's like, people walked in, and the first thing they did was they went around the Welcome Center that way to go to the coffee area. ask you to be generous with your time. See, the people who were building the tabernacle were generous with their time. We also ask for the generosity of your skill set because every single thing that happens here at Westway Christian Church requires the generosity of different skill sets. Whether it's teaching or being friendly at the door or decorating a trunk for trunk or treat, like those things all require a skill set. Pulling weeds requires a skill set. Ask Jeff Holloway if you don't think that's true. And maybe you think that you have nothing to offer. Maybe you think you don't have a skill set. And you should know that to live in that mindset, you, like what you've done is you've agreed with a lie of Satan that you don't have a skill set. Because 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that God has put each part just where he wants it. We're going to talk more about this when we talk about spirit-enabled and spirit-empowered serving next week. But the reality of it is, if, if you're here, you're in that everyone. Like, you're here for a reason. And there's no guilt or shame in that. It's just an invitation. See, we have been Invited to contribute, not just participate. As I read through the Bible reading plan for this week, this morning, I wrote, anyone can be generous because generosity is not expressed in an amount or a percentage. I want you to hear this today. Generosity is not expressed in an amount or a percentage. Generosity is an expression of the status of our heart in relation to gratitude over what God has done for us. See, every single one of us can be generous. Unless you think generosity is an amount. Unless you think generosity is a percentage, and I know I'm, I'm using financial language, but finan- generosity is more than that. If we have grateful hearts, we'll be generous for God. So then I'm back to that question. So if I don't respond and God's going to do it anyway, what's the, what's the big deal? I wrestled with that all week long. I wonder what it must have been like or what it may have been like for the people who, who were unwilling and uneager. As, as they saw the tabernacle being constructed. As they saw all of these people living with meaning and living with purpose something outside of themselves i wonder what that must have been like for them i wonder how they felt i wonder if they were felt guilty or embarrassed i wonder what they had to tell themselves i wonder how many of them said i don't have anything to offer this in my cynicism maybe they thought their identity as god's people wasn't worth their generosity Maybe they didn't understand how great God was, or how He delivered them from Egypt. Maybe they didn't know that God didn't free them because of how great they were, but because of how great He is. One of the things that we do each week here at Westway is we, is we share with whomever is going to be doing our communion and offering meditations, kind of the, the over the flow of our sermon. And on Wednesday, I, I sent the last part of my message to Dustin Jones, who's doing the meditation today. And I just copied and pasted it, and, I'm, um, and he's, he, we started to have this conversation. And I was like, wait, I wasn't asking you to answer my question. And then we more, had more conversation and said, rather than have dialogue via text, what if, what if we just talked a little bit about this in front of our church body on Sunday morning? So I'm going to, uh, Dustin is on his way up, he's going to join me on stage, and we're just going to talk for a couple minutes, and this is, this conversation is going to be a part of our, is basically going to be our communion and offering meditation together, because we want to unpack this for you. And in a few minutes, we're going to give you, give, we're going to give you time during our last song to take communion when you're ready. We're not going to do it as a, as, a, as a body like we typically do on a Sunday morning. But as I was texting back and forth with Dustin, I thought this, like, this would be a good conversation for a church body to hear of how do we wrestle through this. Because I don't have all the answers. Dustin doesn't have all the answers. So we just thought we would dialogue uh, together about this. So, so Dustin, my question is, if I don't respond and God is going to do it anyway, why, why should I give? Why should I give of my time, my, my talents, my skill sets? Why, why should I do any of that?
1: Um, I have some notes here because I'm much better at writing things than speaking things. Um, so this is, this is the response that I sent to your question that wasn't a question to me, but I decided to answer anyway. Um, obedience out of love. Uh, And you touched on this this morning, but our response should be due to our love and obedience to our Savior. And the part that's so overwhelming to me is that God is asking us to participate for our own benefit. And while our generosity of time and talent and finances are an act of worship, he's asking us to do those things for our own good. Um... Being obedient in this way aligns ourselves and our lives to God's will. He does this because he loves us and he wants us to have everything that he's intended for us to have. That was the first response. That
0: was. And then as I was typing, you kept going. So just keep keep going.
1: I didn't copy that into this thing, so I'll try to remember. Um, I... I can only kind of begin to fathom that idea as a parent. So for those of you that are parents here, like you understand that asking your children to do something isn't just because you want them to do something or because they need to fall into these certain rules. Um, But we ask them to do things because we want what's best for them. Mm. And so not touching the stove is what's best for them. It's not because we're... Fun suckers. (laughs) So when God asks us to do these things, it's because he loves us and he knows what we'd be missing out of if we don't obey.
0: Yeah, I think what I like about that is we think we know what's best with our finances. We think we know what's best with our time. We think we know what's best with our skill sets, but the reality of it, God has so much more for us than just what we want best. And I think we saw that again, that, that phrase from the book of Judges, the people did what was right in, in their own eyes. Left to my own devices, like I'm just going to spend my money in the way that I want to spend my money. And I'm not going to do necessarily what's best for me or, or best for his kingdom.
1: Right. And One of the things we've talked about a lot over the last couple months, as you guys have heard it, and a lot of uh, the meditations over offering and communion is deciding in our heart um, what is right to give. And so I was, I was kind of thinking through that this week as well and thinking about response and heart change and um, was talking to my wife about this and, and we kind of went back to Zacchaeus how many have heard the story of Zacchaeus? Everyone heard it, wee little man in the tree. Right. Um, he was a man that was not well liked. He earned his living by collecting taxes and then collecting more and stealing from people in his community. He had a nice house and all of the worldly things. But I imagine he was very community Poor. So when Jesus comes through town, he sees Zacchaeus up in the tree and calls him out by name. We don't know if that's because he had a reputation or if, if Jesus was Jesus and knew him. <laughs> but what we do know is in those times, when, you, when you're invited to someone's house or you stay with someone, that signifies you're accepting them signifies you're aligning yourself with them. And Jesus did that publicly in front of a group of people that did not like Zacchaeus. He aligned himself with a sinner before he had any change in his life. And then what we see is Zacchaeus Gives away half of his belongings, repays everyone he had stolen from, four times the amount. I I was doing some studying on that. I think the expectation was you could pay someone back with 20% interest or something. He did four times. And that's not because he forced his heart to align with God's will. That's because he was changed and his heart commanded his action. And so that deciding in your heart what to do is right is really a response to our faith, a response to our Savior, who's done more for us than we can ever imagine. And so it's not a, I'm going to force myself to do something. I'm not going to pick a percentage. It's an act of worship and an act of generosity in response to what we've been given because of the work God's doing in our hearts.
0: Yeah, I really like what you said about aligning ourselves with God. And we see this in the book of Exodus. God has invited the people to align their priorities around God's priorities. And they had, they had a choice. If you want to be my people, then you have to be about what I'm about. And as, as, as people who are Christians we have been given that same level of invitation to participate and contribute to what God has for us. We are asked to align ourselves with God's kingdom. And like I said earlier in the message, like that, God's kingdoms, God's economy does not work like ours does. Our economy is not the same as God's economy. God's view of how things work is actually reality. And it's what we've been invited into. So how would I, so so connect this to communion for me as, as we're going to pray here.
1: Okay. Well, I think today as we take communion, um, like John had said, we're going to, uh, the team's going to come out and play and we're all going to take communion um, during that song. And I think what I'd like to ask you to do today as you ponder and reflect on what Jesus has done for us. Really seek him out and what he's working on in your life. Seek seek what he's doing in your heart. Bring your life as an offering to him. And um, just use this time to do some self-reflection and aligning your heart with God's will
0: pray. God, I'm thankful for your word this morning. I'm thankful for the wrestling that comes about when we read your word and we are challenged by your word. For those who are, for those who are participating and contributing this morning, God, help us to not be satisfied with common grace. Help us to not be satisfied by just by the fruit of everyone else's labor and labors. Help us, each one of us, to respond to the invitation to be your people, of contributors, of people who are aligning ourselves with your kingdom.